Hello and welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. Firstly, thank you very much for tuning in. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. Our guest today is Adam Lovett, who is the head of legal and business affairs at the sports media company Otro. He has a fantastic and unique perspective on sports media and also the role of lawyers within sport. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing him. I hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please do tell people. It encourages us to do more. If there's people you'd love us to interview, uh, then let us know. People would like us to cover. Um, obviously, if you think you've got an interesting story that you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you too. Other than that, I hope you enjoy the show. And if you're listening in the office, on the way home, or wherever you are, I hope it's an enjoyable uh, stopgap between whatever you're doing. We're here in Lawrence Sports office in London, and our guest today is a good friend um, and someone I've known for, I think, the best part of like eight or nine years now. Coming up for a decade. Yeah, 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 so I know, gosh. And we still look as young as ever, I think. <laughs> Not quite. Um, it's Adam Lovett, who is the head of legal at Otro, which we'll come on to what Otro is in a minute. Uh, it's a very exciting business. Adam, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Sean. Thanks Thank- for having me along. We've been trying to get this in for the last uh, we have. few months. Uh, you're recently a father, so congratulations. Thank you. So you're, <laughs> how are you adjusting to... Uh, Life as a lawyer and parent. If I fall asleep during this, it's not a reflection on the podcast, it's a reflection <laughs> on my son. Thank you for the thank you for the get out there. Um so I wanted to get you on partly because you know I talk about you a lot when I'm talking about people in terms of how to progress their careers uh, in sports law and, and some of the characteristics that you have, um uh, enthusiasm which you have, which I think is 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 something that should be modelled or could be modelled, you know, for the for the right type of person anyway in the sector. Um so to give people who don't know you, who aren't familiar with you, a bit of a background. How did you get into sports law? So I qualified in 2009 as a lawyer in Scotland and I did litigation work for about four years till about 2013. But about halfway through that, so about 2011, 2012, I thought to myself, this is not for me. I cannot continue to do property and construction litigation for the rest of my life. So I looked into various options and... London 2012 was a bit of a catalyst actually for me because I saw that coming and then it came and I thought I want to get involved in sport and at that point I realised I was never going to be a professional athlete. Uh, I think the only sport that you could possibly take up in your 20s and have a chance of being an Olympic athlete in is probably archery. (laughs) No disrespect to archery but it felt like it was the only one and I didn't have a bow and arrow. So I looked at various options and did a Masters at the University of London, long distance learning, alongside my construction litigation job. And the Masters was focused on sports, IP and media law. And it took me about two, three years of long distance learning to get through the course. Exams were sat every May and October. So there's a certain pace you could go at. So effectively, I'd work all day, study at night, sit the exams May and October. And I got through the course with a merit, which... Which, to this day, I still don't quite know how. It was a, a, a remarkable. <laughs> but I think that the, the key thing is there. It was just, I had such determination because I knew that I wanted to get into sports law by that point. And for me, having that master's on my CV gave me something that stood out from other people. So, so, so let me go one, one before that then. So why law? I always wanted to be a journalist. Right. So I, wanted be, I wanted to be a radio commentator. <laughs> so this is as yeah. close as I've ever got. Uh, why law? Because I thought it was a good way into journalism at the time. Journalism was a volatile industry. And law gave a certain security, I think, is the honest answer to that question. Did I particularly grow up wanting to be a lawyer? No. So but so, so media was something that was interesting. Media really interested me. So, sports, yeah. media, that was always a fascination for me. Because I knew you were a sports fan. I just didn't click on I did the IP sports. And if I'm right in, in saying this, that you did that partly because you realised that you, know, often you, you did a, something that I think advisable for most people in most professions was you reached out to a bunch of people to ask for advice um get perspectives and i think when i've heard you talk before that you were saying that you know really you're looking at you know where's the opportunity for you and you thought the media ip angle in sport was going to be the the one correct and i spoke to guys like yourself lawyers who are partners in some of the best firms in london who to this day i'm friendly with and you still remember that people that help you do remember because 
it's very easy when someone picks up the phone that you've never heard of phoning you from Edinburgh and says, I want to be a sports lawyer, can you help? Put the phone down. But these guys actually gave me time and you're forever thankful for that because it's very, time is precious, but people actually were prepared to help. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people, I always say this all the time, a lot of people are, but I think the difference, you know, from, from you know, having our interactions early in your career, um, you, you know, and other people like you, you and like me at the time, you know, you're very genuine. You know, you could tell that there was a genuine enthusiasm and you weren't really asking for much. You were just, you know, asking for a little bit of counsel, but you weren't going, oh, can you help, like, do everything for me? You were just going, I'm doing this already. I've been proactive. What else could I do? Um after you did your masters, you then managed to land a job at uh, IMG. I so, did. So, so, how so did I that? think I think I actually got the job at IMG just before the masters finished. Right. So one of my friends worked at IMG and said, "There's a job going. Are you interested?" And I kind of looked at him and said, "Are you mad?" At least he was a Celtic fan. And I'm a Rangers <laughs> fan. I thought you're, say, wind, you're in the can, wind can, up. Can you name check him? <laughs> yeah, Chris Duffy. He, he <laughs> had that he was in the wind up. He's now at Celtic now. He is now at Celtic. <laughs> uh, and I, and I thought, you're winding me up. I'm not going to get this job. I've got no sports experience other than writing a few blogs for you guys. Um, but I went for it. And I got the job. And John Lofhagen, who I'm still in touch with. He's now on an editorial board. It all comes full circle. There you go. <laughs> who I met recently. He gave me the chance. And at the time, he said to me, he said that my master's was what made me stand out. Because you get so many CVs. And listen, if you apply for a job at IMG... They'll be queuing around the block for that job because mm. it's a great place to work. But he gave, gave me a chance. And I was there for about two years. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, you're thrown in at the deep end. You're given so much responsibility. Particularly then, because IMG then had a relatively small legal team. Now so, it's huge. And and uh, and what was the breadth of the work that you were doing there? So I did a lot of licensing work, so sports licensing. A lot of focus on Euro 2016. Uh, we did, I did the tennis work for a period of time, which was fantastic. I mean, when you're doing player contracts and endorsement deals for some of the best players in the world and you're a tennis fan it's it's yeah, dream stuff I remember because the, 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 you're probably the most I don't I kind of think of who else is more enthusiastic than you like you know like Kevin Carpenter's close close second he's pretty enthusiastic <laughs> as well but you're probably the most enthusiastic particularly on the sports side uh, I remember you yeah, saying to you, how's it going at IMG? And you were just like, oh, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The stuff that I'm doing, it's just so fantastic. And I think that, that's one of your wonderful qualities. I think you've got to enjoy what you do. Mm. I think you've got to enjoy what you do. Uh, and listen, I, I'm sure there were some parts of the job that I didn't enjoy. But when you are helping to run mass participation events, which is another aspect that I did, and you're seeing players play with clothing on that you've done the deal for them to wear that and you're doing deals that involve multi-million pounds for European Championship football tournaments it's fantastic it's brilliant I was very lucky uh, and you become a better lawyer I think by doing something you enjoy I think if you have a passion for it I think I say that's across the board and anything right because I was thinking about this with, with law and sports so I was going to talk to, to a colleague and they were saying, oh, but we, you know, it's pretty cool what we've done and stuff and I was thinking that really it's just because we enjoy it like, we were talking about this before the podcast, right? Why are we doing the podcast? And I was like, well, I get to talk to people like you. Like, it's great, <laughs> right? It's, it's like an afternoon off yeah. for me, but work for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also an afternoon off for me in that regards because you get to like catch up with good friends or, you know, learn something new about what someone's done in their career. Um, but, but what's interesting there, though, just to go back a bit, is that when I talk about doing construction and property litigation in Scotland, I was working with people, and I can picture them, I'm not going to name them, obviously, who... Or do. <laughs> I could. Who hated their jobs and would come into work mm. every day and say I hate this I don't want to do this forever well my view is very much well if you don't enjoy it do something yeah, else yeah, yeah. there'll be a job out there for everyone yeah, to absolutely. do something that you want to do yeah. so do not I find it frustrating when people moan about their job when actually you can change but, it but I think there's different personality types so say for example with you right you're very someone, someone like you know you'll take ownership over it and go right oh, it's in my control to do I think some people having worked you know in the back, uh, back room of law firms all the way through you know the uh, some people just get a sense of learned helplessness yeah right and so they think like, what can I do about it you know we, we've obviously got a recruitment division and do a lot of career coaching with people um, both formally and informally and it, you'll be surprised some of the people that we know and they're like what can I do what can I do and I'm like what can't you do you know you're very well educated you've got opportunities you can do anything now it's not going to be easy and there's different uh, circumstances but I don't, I don't I don't necessarily think everyone's got that mindset you know there's there's a bunch of people out there who do and I think a lot of people in sports law do I think you've got to be able to 
accept rejection as well. I mean, listen, IMG was not the first mm. job that I went for. I was never going to get some of the ones that I went for. But I think the experience of going through a recruitment process and the experience of not getting every job that you want in life makes you a better person because actually you realize, what am I missing? What am I not doing that I could be doing? And it will help you become a more rounded candidate um, for what jobs. Do you, what do you think from your, you know, when you're, from the experiences to, to now, for example, because no doubt you're going to be hiring, I would imagine, um, at some point and you've been involved in hiring in, in your previous roles. Um, what do you take forward when you're looking for people from that? You know, from like, what, what do you look at and think, oh, Joe, well, I can see that it's not the best application, but or the interview is not the best, but there's something there. What, uh, first impression is so important. So important. It, it, you've got to know what the business is that you're applying for a job. I remember when I worked at Dugout, we had uh, summer interns and kind of paralegals came in and there would be people there who didn't know what Dugout was. And, I, and that would be one of my first questions. And, and I thought to myself, you've not even done research. Mm. Is it? And it's not difficult. Mm. It's not difficult to go on a website or Google things. And, and I found it's frustrating and I'm not going to give a job to someone that doesn't know what they're going into. So it's common sense, do checks, understand what you are applying for. And listen, you might not be the best candidate for the job, but give it your all. Give it your all and that's all that you can possibly do. And so so from the from the IMG role, what did you um sort of what was the key thing you took away from it? Experience and confidence. I had no experience when I started. And I believed that I could be a sports lawyer. Whatever a sports well, lawyer, lawyer is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get into that. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's a rabbit hole. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I knew I but I didn't know if I'd be any good at it. And I didn't know the types of personalities that you'd be dealing with what in an in-house environment as opposed to private practice. Right. And what, a big what, difference. And what was your, what was the fear? Like in the sense, I know you said you know me good at it, but what do you mean by so that? So I'm going from a comfort zone of a Scottish law firm that I've been at for six years, being a trainee for two and qualified for four, into a world-renowned organisation where I am a tiny fish in a huge pond dealing with very big personalities who know the industry inside out. And it can very easily swallow you up. And and how much of that do you think was your perception of things or and how much of it was the reality? So, so bearing in mind, you've got to do your job, right? So the main thing is you do your job and do it well, regardless of what else is going on around you, right? You just have to do the job well. And so you can either be aware of these big personalities or or, or try to, you know, to ignore them and just carry on what you're doing. In law firms, even a small law firm, you can still have big personalities in a small law firm. So what was the difference between when you actually, you know, the fear of that and how are you going to cope in that environment and then the reality of you being there? I think in a law firm, you've always got a fallback when you're junior. So you start off as a trainee, you become an NQ, you become an associate, you become a partner. It's a traditional route. I appreciate those variances. Hmm. But in an in-house environment like IMG, no one's going to check every bit of work that you do. (laughs) I mean, they're still probably tidying up my contracts five years (laughs) on. I don't want to know if they are, but no one's checking it. There's a lot of responsibility. And I suppose the longer you're there and what you've done hasn't been thrown back in your face, then you take confidence from that. He says, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. (laughs) A flurry of emails there. Oh, by the way, can you tell me what the hell you were doing? Um, So, and then... uh, uh, that's really interesting. And so so from there then, so you built up your confidence, you're at IMG, uh, you moved on uh, to perform, right? Yeah, Correct. Yeah. Yes. So uh, why did you move? What was the difference? So I moved because I didn't have any media experience at IMG. I was very much doing the sports and entertainment side, not really doing much media stuff. And IMG got taken over by WME uh, when I was there. And the expansion meant that from my perspective, chances of career progression were slower than they may otherwise have been so perform was a smaller team and i joined there and andrew ryan was a head of legal and i will say it now and i hope he listens to this because he'll message me <laughs> if he is but he was the best lawyer i've ever worked with yeah he's a genuinely smart guy. absolutely he's brilliant yeah. and, and he He's I on think, our advisory board as well. I might is add. he? So, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm once a role on your advisory board, Sean, but yeah, that's yeah, another yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's another conversation. That is, you've been invited, but you just didn't accept. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Uh, but but no, I agree, though. He's a smart guy. So really. wait, so meeting Andrew and also Ben Barlow, who was high yep. up at the time, yeah, yeah. you're working with these guys, smaller team, more responsibility, media exposure. And at the time as well, it was just before Zone launched. Yeah. So there was the opportunity really to be involved yeah. in that. Uh, and listen, I was only at Perform for, for less than a year for reasons we'll come on to in a minute. Yeah. 
but it was great. I mean, it gave me a whole new uh, area of law being the media side that I hadn't really touched upon properly at IMG. So and from my perspective, think, what, it made sense. What do you think? Did you ask them? What, what, cause I know you're a curious guy, right? So did you ask them why, why you got the job? Because I still don't know why they employed you. I have no idea why. <laughs> no, I'm maybe nobody else went through the felt them at the time. Maybe the honest answer to no, that question. No, but did they not say like, is in you know, giving you a background? I know that obviously was it the sporting background? Was the IP? Was, so it was clear it? to me why I got the IMG job. Yeah, and I think that IMG and your CV is stands out from yeah. most other organisations. And I was going to say that it's a bit of a coup for them to get a lawyer from IMG, but that's <laughs> a bit big headed to say yeah. that. So I don't know if I mean that, but I, I gave Ben and Andrew the same reasons as to why I wanted to move that I just gave to you. I want media experience. Mm. I feel that there's more chance of career progression at Perform at the time. It seemed like a right fit for me. Mm. I got there. I was there for less than a year. I was there for less than a year because Dugout came along. It wasn't a reflection on Perform. I think that at no point did I think the zone would be as big and successful mm. as it has been. I mean, yeah. it has been... It's super exciting. Oh, it's really been phenomenal. It's changed the, the dynamics of sports viewing around the world to a large extent. And I was there right at the start, but I can't take any credit for it at all. But <laughs> it was a it was a wonderful experience. I, I really enjoyed it. Not far from here, just across from Waterloo Station, yeah. actually. So, yeah, I felt at the time it was the right move. Looking back, actually, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I probably should have stayed at IMG for another year and then gone from IMG and, to Dugout. And, and so so for those people that aren't familiar with Dugout, do you want to describe Dugout, what your role was yeah. there? So, so I don't think I was performed long enough for me to look at it and say that it changed my skills or ability to any great extent, which is not a reflection on performance, yeah. more of a reflection on the length of time I was there, which is a combination of factors. But Dugout came along, uh, and this was about April 2016, I think it was. And it was an email from a recruiter who said that there's a football startup co-owned by some of the biggest football teams in the world. Did I want to go there and head up the legal team? And as a sports and football nut, this Particularly was... Particularly football nut. Exactly. Yeah. This was too good an opportunity not to consider. So I met the guys at Dugout and I was the opportunity to be the first uh, lawyer they had. And it was an opportunity that comes along very rarely interestingly when you talked before about the people that i spoke to for advice mm. when i was looking to get into sports law a couple of them were the same people i spoke to for advice as to whether i should take the dugout job or stick with perform because it was a risk going to a startup yeah, yeah. was a risk i didn't know and what was the, what was the thing tip tip for you i don't think opportunities to be a head of legal at seven years qualified for a football startup which has exclusive content from the likes of Arsenal, Man City, Bayern, so, and Barcelona. So it might be worthwhile for those people that aren't familiar with Dugout. Um, obviously, they, they launched with a, with, a, with a bit of a fanfare in the space. Um, but a lot of people may, because they've been pivoting, and we can come on to that later. But um, you know, do you want to describe what their model was at the time when you joined? Yeah, so it was effectively a content platform which would give content from various football clubs that had signed up. So there was about, I think it's about 80 or 90 clubs and leagues that had signed up for Dugout. And on a monthly basis, they were obliged to give a certain amount of video and static content to Dugout for Dugout to put on its own platform. So it was a content aggregator, so to speak, where something like that had never been done before, where a platform had been co-owned by clubs, not all the clubs, just some of them. And you would go on there and you would see all the content in one place. So you wouldn't go to the Liverpool site and just see Liverpool. You wouldn't go to the Barcelona site and just see Barcelona. You would go to Dugout and you would see all of these clubs. And it was a lot of research into it about football fans, particularly outside of the UK. And they're not as partisan as we are. Mm. So you're a Charlton Athletic fan, Sean. Yeah, allegedly. You are. And I'm a Rangers fan. <laughs> I still follow them. And I'm a Rangers fan for my sins. But they're doing quite well now, by the way. Both of us are doing quite yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Rangers are going to win the league. So keep that in the pod. <laughs> and then in a year's time, we'll see if I was right when I said that. But listen, I'm, I'm only going to be a Rangers fan. Yeah. I'm never going to support another team. But if you live in Southeast Asia, you will support uh, Manchester United against Wolves last night. And the week before, you would have supported Chelsea against Man United because you just love football. You yeah. don't have a club. So the ability to have one platform where all these clubs are pushing content on together it's unique and it was something that hadn't really been done before there's a lot of social channels around at that time lad bible for yeah, instance. Was this, 
2016. Well, 2016. So they launched November 2016. And it was the first of its type. And it was a wonderful, wonderful idea. Still going today. Still out there, doing well. But now they're going to be doing... They Didn't they announce they're going to be doing more production stuff? I think they are doing more production. When I was there, that yeah. started to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's really interesting in the sense... They did sense. a very good deal. A very good deal with Kia Motors, for instance. So right. they're doing a deal with Kia for the Europa League. Right. Whereby... The I think Kia are entitled to have a highlights package, right? And it's put on the dugout channels, right? Okay. Which, from dugout's perspective, is great because if you have clubs like Arsenal and Chelsea in the Europa League, like they were last year, then you can get content exclusively from these clubs. And um, but how are they monetizing it? Which is the which is the bit where where branded content deals, right. branded content deals, and we'll come on to that when we talk yeah, about yeah, Otro yeah, in a yeah, few yeah, minutes no, as well. Absolutely. But branded content. Licensing arrangements, I'm sure, exist for dugout as they as they would do for Otro as well. Uh, you can do you can monetize through social, as you know, whether mm. it be through Facebook or Twitter yeah, yeah. or Instagram as well. So there's various ways you can do it, and Otro and dugout, and we'll come on to Otro in a second. Obviously, cross over each other to some extent, but I think there's a space in the market for both. And so, then that brings me on to. Otro then. So I let so, that up for you quite well. Yeah, you I? did. Yeah, thank you very much. You did my job for me. Perfect. Um, so you decided to move on to Otro. So to so maybe, again, define what they do and then define the role. So I was dug out for two years and then Otro came along and said, we are looking for a head of legal. See above, conversation we just had five minutes ago. <laughs> Would you like to come and be our first head of legal? And I'd been at dugout for two years and I think at that point I was ready for a move. I was ready for a change. And of course, if people are still listening to us, having been at the start, they'll say, well, hang on, he's moved around a lot. I don't think that's unusual in our industry when you're relatively junior. And I look at my moves and I say that every one of them made sense to me at the time, with the exception possibly in hindsight of the perform one. At the time, it was the right one to do. But in hindsight, well, I might not have done so, it. So part of that is those that when you're relocating, right, as well. So you're trying to go from not being, let's say, in a... In a a market has obviously changed some, somewhat uh, Scotland now, but still it's not the you know big sports market. Coming to London, big big legal and sports market, you get to learn the lay of the land, you know, understand what's going on. So that makes a lot of sense, right? So you you make a decision, then you go right, gain some experience, then move on. Uh, would you say, look, you know, going to perform that you probably, you know, if you're looking to make the most of that opportunity, really a couple of years to really understand the processes, understand what's going on, uh, would have been a third thing. But then also, you know, I remember speaking to her when you were moving to dugout that, that part of that, you know, going from a bigger business to a smaller business is one, the funding structure is different, right? Yeah. So so you, you already, when you go to a, a startup business, even though they're well backed, you don't have a five year runtime, right? You have a year, two years runtime, right? And then you may have to pivot or look for another opportunity anyway. So you're already going in with that mindset. Correct. And also, and also where within organizations am I going to go? I'm quite ambitious. Yeah. So if I stayed at Perform, where was Never I? Never noticed. Never noticed. Sorry. <laughs> uh, where was I going to go at Perform? Is a question that you kind of, uh, kind of went over in my mind quite a lot. In terms of, I'm one of 10. There's people more senior than me in there, obviously. There's possibly better lawyers than me in there as well. Uh, and I'd only just joined and some people have been there for longer. So if you're trying to climb the greasy pole, that was a natural move to me to be the only lawyer in an organisation as opposed to being... So I think, so it's a contrast in, so we want to get onto the outro stuff, we but do. it's really interesting. So say, for example, it's not really fair to do this, but, you know, for those people who do listen about career progression and, and opportunities in the sports market, say, for example, take, take your approach and then take someone like uh, Tom Burrows, right? Different personalities, completely different personalities. At some point I'm getting on the podcast as well. Completely different Just make sure he doesn't talk about his cricket career. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he was a, a cricket player. We talked about him before. He's in many of you have had him speak at a conference and you talked about on the other podcast, I think, with Nick DeMarco. But anyway, now he's head of, to cut a long story short, he's now head of, uh, sorry, commercial, I think. Uh, I think that's right. Or commercial, yeah, head of commercial strategy, I think, uh, at the zone, right? He's gone about it a different way, right? And I think there's part of this is like, you know, you've got such different personality types that being, I think, in a, a smaller startup business is probably more well suited to you whereas someone with Tom's disposition uh, probably suits him better to be in that type of organisation I think, that, that, that I think that's true I think yeah. Tom is also perfectly fitted to the job that he's doing Yeah, uh, because he Tom is a more patient person than I am 100% <laughs> and I think if he was if you were trying to negotiate a complex rights agreement from a commercial or a legal perspective I think Tom would be better placed than I am because he would have the time to 
chat to people where I am very much a, if something comes into me to do today, I want to get it done today. Mm. That's not a criticism well, at all. To, I understand it's not a praise fair, of me. It's just a different way well, of no, that, To be fair, when you started writing, I bought your, your stuff up. Like, you know, you've written prolifically for Law and Sport over the years, not so many in the last <laughs> few years, but something like 20 plus articles you wrote for us. And I remember in the early days, and that was a t- tendency you had, that you'd write something, I'd review it, send it back to you, and then you'd submit it again within a day, like within, like instantly. And I think that that's probably like a really, that probably trait has actually served you really well in these small, like, you know, the, the, where, where the, the rate of change is so fast-paced. And I think in startups, you've got to be able to do things as and when needed. I, you cannot sit in something for a week. Mm. It's impossible. And effectively, in a startup, you are... And it happens for a lot of in-house jobs, actually. You're effectively just providing a service to the business. The business is your client. Yeah. So you've got to provide them as good a service as possible. And a key aim for me, whether it be at Dugout, Otro, or anywhere else I've been, is you've got to treat everyone equally as well. Listen, if the CEO of Otro wants something done, he will get it done before anyone else Mm. in the business, naturally. But if someone who's very junior, six months qualified, sorry, six months in the job, job, comes to me and says, listen, can you do these T's and C's for me, for instance? And someone else says to me, we need to do this player agreement. But if the six-month person has come to me first, they will get the thing done first. Unless there's a specific yeah. urgency need. Because you can't start you can't start making the person who's just in the door and junior feel that they are not going to get the same service as someone else. And also there's a point of you getting stuff done in the sense you need some order, right? Because you know, running a business, as you know, right? like, like, yeah, running a small business you've got to make a lot of decisions all the time and if you don't have a structured way of doing it it will just consume you and yeah. you'll just become incapacitated it's really interesting actually because you know let's go on to what after this but it's really interesting because when we're talking about you know we get so many requests for people we've got our mentoring scheme obviously you're one of our mentors uh that that people are looking for different opportunities there are so many opportunities in the market if you're willing to think about it. And I think I'm hoping that people are listening to this. Maybe they are in private practice at the moment or they're having house runs going, oh, actually, maybe I don't need to go to, to one of the big agencies. Maybe I don't need to go to some big media companies. Maybe there are opportunities at smaller businesses, particularly if they're more, they think, listen to this thinking, you know, actually, I'm a bit like Adam, you know, I like to, to you know, do things quickly, get things done, get things moving, you know, want a fast uh, rate of change. Um, maybe I'm hoping that's why one of the reasons I wanted to get you on. I'm hoping that they'll listen to you talk and go, oh, maybe there's other opportunities out there. And, and the worst anyone can say to you is no. Mm. And then you say, do you know what? Fine, I tried. I'll try something else. But actually, I've been, as I said earlier, I've been turned down for jobs before. You've just got to say that's life. Move on. There's other people who are better than you in that position at the right time. And no doubt that's the same in terms of when you're making decisions in terms of in the business where you have to take the same approach, right? Yeah. That's life. Um, so can you define... So how uh, Otro is different from Dugout? Like you just went into it a little bit, but... Otro is focused on the players. So they have a contracts in place with 17 footballers and the players are to give only Otro their content. So non-match content we're talking about here. So it's players like Beckham and Zidane who've retired and then current players such as Messi and Suarez and Rodriguez and Deli Ali and Dybala. So these guys have got to give a certain amount of content to us on a weekly, monthly, annual basis, uh, and only to us. So we have exclusivity. And do you have film crews then following them around? So no, we arrange shoots with them. Right. uh, And we have a content studio internally as well. So we've made a pivot, a bit like Dugout as well. So we were initially a subscription app, and we've recently moved to more of a content studio social first product. And the social stuff we're doing just now is genuinely exciting and it's genuinely stuff that I would watch. And I love Twitter and I love Instagram. <laughs> you do, yeah. But I will rant about Pampers nappies as I did last <laughs> night or I will rant about whatever BBC are showing on TV that night. I won't tend to watch football social content but I do watch the ultra stuff and I don't just do it because I work there. I actually do it because I enjoy it. And we have some very, very talented people. Our uh, our head of content is brilliant. Uh, she gets what the audience wants to see. And I think that the change that we've made at the business genuinely, and I'm obviously going to say this because I'm sitting here, but genuinely is for the better. And I think it's important for businesses to look at it and say, yeah, we need to make a change. Yeah, we need to make a change. So yeah, the, the, the app was good, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. So 
we've looked at it and said, you know what, we're going to focus on being a content studio. The social content we can put out there will be absolutely brilliant. Let's get Otro name recognition. Let's do branded content deals. Let's look at the options in terms of monetization of the content we've got. The players are on board with it. Mm. And how, and how do you work with the players' agencies? Because essentially, you're almost becoming like a, 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 a you know the player-owned agency, right? Which you see a lot of in the US. You see you know players now doing that type of thing themselves. So um, how does that? How does that? How does that? You know, given it's quite a new thing, how's that um, being received, or does it create challenges? It's hard because ultimately, we despite the fact we've got exclusivity, the players' priority is not Otro. Players' yeah. priority is a football career, of course. So you're working with agents you're working with agencies such as kin who uh, assist us a lot in terms of the work that we actually do but if you have a representative or two representatives for a player that you build up a good relationship with and i think of delhi ali as an example we have a really good relationship with his main representative if you do that and you show the guys the value of Otro and you show them what the player can gain out of Otro as well. And I don't mean money. I mean actually in terms of profile, in terms of almost brand awareness of the yeah. player. Then the players are really wanting to do it and they find the content really, really fun. Mm. They, they find enjoy it fun. the process. Yeah, we, we did a series called Orbital Strikers, which involved uh, Liv, who's one of the kind of... Uh, I don't know if you said Liv Cook, I think her name is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah who yeah, does so, a lot yeah. of the kind of yeah. football skills yeah, and yeah, tricks. Yeah, yeah. And she did it with a couple of guys, orbital strikers, and the players got involved in it. So Deli Ali went down and shot with them. Uh, James Rodriguez did it with them as well. And it's fun. It's what kids want to watch. Yeah, yeah. Because they're seeing footballers being human. Yeah. Actually, the dugout tagline at one point was making footballers human again. Right. Actually, I think it's a better tagline for Otro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not meant to be a criticism of anyone, <laughs> but I do think it fits better because you can see aspects of the players' lives that you wouldn't have seen before. We, we shot with Beckham in Tokyo when he was at a Japanese... Uh, fashion show and we saw him going into shops to buy Christmas presents for his kids and you see a side to the players that you don't see and there's a real appetite for it people want to see what footballers are like they're like you and me Sean yeah. they're human oh, beings well, well. who have got families but you know, and, whatever and, and, and it's really interesting though because given the, the 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 world we're in now right and everyone becoming their own media producer point in case now right <laughs> um that the there's not many David Beckham's out there, right? So so if you look at um, uh, the number of players that will have the opportunity to do this, no doubt everyone will have their own following and they can build it up. You know, if they're being... Uh, not, I don't like using the word authentic so much anymore, but if they're, they're generally enjoying it and, and getting a lot from them and providing value, right, to their to their supporters, their fans, people who've got interest in what they're doing. But they're not... They're not how many of them can there be, right? It's in the sense of people can do like a bit like running a business. Some people can get like good income, but there's not that many Facebooks, there's not that many Twitters, there's not many Ubers. So your question almost is where's the saturation point? Yeah. Where, yeah. Where, where, what point do there become too many dugouts, too many outros, too many coppers, too many... Yeah, or are you always going to remain focused on those those key players? Are you looking to expand? You know, are they okay, going to be able so, to... so there's two, there's two parts to your question. First of all, I think there's a space in the market for all these companies. Of course it is. Some will succeed, some will not succeed. But I think there's a space for them all at this moment in time as the landscape shakes out as to see which can survive. In terms of players, from our perspective, it's very difficult to pick 17 players who are going to be the best because some are good in camera, some are not good in camera. Some have an audience that wants to watch them and some don't. We have a big, a big advantage. We've got a couple of female players as well, Tony Duggan being case in point. So I think you've really got to show the women's game as well because... The growth in that is enormous. So if we have a roster of 17 players just now, we look at it and say we can do shoots with other players as well on a case-by-case basis. We don't have to sign them up on a five-year agreement. Mm. We can sign them up on a month or a quarterly and say do two shoots for us. Uh, There's opportunities beyond football as well. So we did a shoot a few months ago with Neymar meeting Will Smith, uh, which was great, fantastic, and he loved that. So... 17 is the number we've got. That number may well go up. That number may well go down. I don't think you want it to go too much higher than 17, but you would bring in players on a case-by-case basis because so, there will be some who suddenly and attract are, sorry, sorry, And are any of the players owners? No. No. So they're, they're just uh, um, talent? Correct. Correct. All right, okay. Oh, super interesting. And what would you say in, the, in your current role? So how long have you been in there now? 
Almost a year. Almost a year. Really? I say that, I don't know when you're releasing this podcast. It might be over <laughs> a year by the time you get around to it. Uh, I'm going to try and do it later, later today. Okay. Yeah, so almost a year. Nice year. Wow. And what would you say the learning process has been uh, from, from Neo, particularly given that you went into to dug out a new experience? Um, so I, I, tell, I tell you the learning process has been, I think the ability to, I was going to say be your own boss. I don't quite mean it like that. But the ability to shape what you're doing and the ability to, so I think I said I'm head of legal, head of legal and business affairs. I mean, I took the job. I had no idea what business affairs meant. <laughs> Still not convinced. I know what business affairs means. But if you look at it, I've just dealt with the Otro Insurance renewal for the next year. Uh, I'm assisting the content team in terms of uh, an agreement to get a certain number of images that we can use in the platform for the next year as well with image providers. So your role does expand. You take on more responsibility. Almost just by time passing and people giving you things to look at and to do, you suddenly get extra responsibility. And I think that what I have learned at Otro is, you talked about confidence earlier. I think my confidence has improved at Otro because actually I have the experience of dugout. I have the experience of IMG and perform. And I know what I'm talking about. Listen, I'm not the finished article. I'm not the finished article as a lawyer. I don't know if any lawyer ever is. Even QCs and judges, I think everyone has areas to improve and areas Mm -hmm. to learn. But I feel if you look at me as a lawyer 10 years ago when I qualified, because I'm 10 years qualified as of September, to me as a lawyer now, I'd, I'd like to think that I've made huge progress. And I think that every job you go into, you've got to strive to improve. You can't stand still. And I think that the confidence I've got at Otro and the ability to have more decision-making power and autonomy is huge. Um, and how do you work with outside counsel so we have one other lawyer in the business as well who does a couple of days a week who's invaluable um relatively junior but he was in the business before me and again i like to it sounds silly but i like to treat him as an adult because i think you've got to build up a relate because I, I don't think every lawyer is treated like an adult by senior lawyers i think there's mm. some senior lawyers who look at junior ones and do not treat them the way they should be well there, there's um that's a generalization there's, yeah, isn't yeah it? there is a big one you're gonna get you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> soundbite this and it's now okay so i think i think the thing we're describing is the hierarchical structure of the law and i see this with very capable people some of the most educated people in the world sometimes from some of the best academic institutions in the world and they lack the confidence you were describing earlier partly because they've been so used to being deferential to someone else even though you know they've achieved so much some of them maybe even like be you know athletes or you know done other things as well and they get into the le- because they have to get everything proofed again it's that sense of learned helplessness by the time they actually get into you know business or to get more senior they're lacking in that confidence because they've never really been uh, nurtured or mentored in the right way right and but- i see this i see this uh, this is just a broader issue with the 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 sector as a whole, I think, the legal sector. I'm guilty of this as well. Are lawyers trained to be managers? No. I don't think, I'm not sure that. Mm, there's a, there are some businesses that do it better, but there's, um, yeah, the, le, legal. Again, I think there's some, some you've got to be very careful. I think there's some uh, a whole bunch of one great, great people in law. We were talking about with someone who's not in law earlier, actually I had lunch with, who was saying, I'm surprised by how many great people there are who are lawyers. And I was saying to him, there's fantastic people. It's a, the, the structure of legal business, uh, whether it's at the bar or whether it's at solicitor's firms or avocados or whatever. Sometimes they are, you know, don't necessarily, um, they haven't necessarily moved with the times, right? So they haven't necessarily adopted modern practices because of the business structure is so um, archaic. It takes a long time to shift that. I think a big word for me is trust. I think you've just got to trust the people that work with you. I think you've got to... I think I think if you are working with other lawyers in your business, you have to believe that they are aiming for the same end result as you are and give them the ability to do what needs to be done. And if they have questions, tell them to come to you. Mm. Well, I think Joe, one thing I think is really interesting though, when you're saying this, listen to, you know, talk about um, the guy who got working with you, is that 
they know that he was there before you. That's one person. I do also get the uh, frustration for some people when they inherit people. Like, you know, they haven't necessarily chose a team. And maybe that they just haven't got the working relationship or they haven't managed to, you know, there might be customs or practices that they don't like, they're not suited. You know, to me, that, that can be a difficult... But that goes situation. two ways. So, yeah, you've got the person that could go in who's got people there already, but you've got the people there who have got someone else coming in and you're Absolutely. thinking, why are they coming in? Yeah, yeah. So it's about nurturing a relationship there yeah. and saying, listen, I'm not here... As a, as a threat to you or I'm not here to undermine you, you, you almost have to say to the person, listen, you're two or three years qualified. I'm eight or nine years qualified. It doesn't make me a better lawyer than, me, than you, but I have more experience of dealing with things in the, in the sector. I may have more experience of dealing with people and therefore it happens to be that I have the more senior job. But that doesn't mean that that person cannot provide yeah, skills absolutely. and ability that I don't have. Yeah, absolutely. To, to this day, having been at Otro for a year, I still rely on the other lawyer for basic knowledge of what happened to the business before I joined. Yeah. And even after I have joined, I've said to him, there's certain things that I want you to focus on because you are good at it and it's what you did before I got here. And there's no point in me taking it from you because it's just going to double your workload, double my workload and slow everything down. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll be careful which I don't want to talk out of turn but there's a there's a, a great sports team that i know that and they talked about majors and minors which i loved it was like people have their majors and then everything like you know they're with their, their strength essentially this is what their strength is this is their area of focus and attention they can own and then the minors is maybe split between the team which i thought was a really nice way to, to structure it but you asked about outside council yeah that's what i was going to come back to. i don't think i've answered any question that you've <laughs> no. asked me i should have been a politician a <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not going to politics so uh, outside counsel, I, my view of the role of an in-house lawyer is not to use outside counsel all the time because otherwise you're doing yourself out of a job. I will use outside counsel either where I simply don't have the time to do the work and they are better at it than I am or they've got the specialist skills. So there may be uh, IP matters, IP registration, for instance, that I simply... A, cannot devote the time to or B, do not have the specialist skills to do that there are law firms out there who can do it at a decent rate with some very, very good lawyers. And I will only engage lawyers for any employer that I work for that I believe will do as good a job as I can, as cost-effectively as, as they can. And what would you like to, or what is it that you like to see in outside counsel? in terms of how they approach you to, to win business. Like, cause we talked about this before when, you know, just more broadly, when uh, every role you've been in, I speak to a lot of in-house counsel about it, so I'm always very curious about how um, they go about instructing a particular lawyer or firm, uh, you know, or why they don't, right? So so what, what are some of the things that are sort of essentially the do's and don'ts? Cause I think, um, you know, I was always, you know, particularly your business, you know, fast growth business, got a lot of cash injection, the same with Dugout. I would have thought that people would be um, harassing you. Maybe they will after this all the time, right? To, to well, so, so I've not, I've not been harassed at Otro. Yeah, uh, which I don't know if it's a criticism or whether it's actually praiseworthy criticism because people maybe could have knocked on the door and said, "Do you need help?" Or praiseworthy because people know that I would go to them if I need help. So you can look at it either way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a bit of both, probably. I don't particularly like being in a job one week and people saying, "Give us work, give us work." <laughs> no, that's not. I need to understand what I'm doing before I can work that out. Uh, I think that to go back to what we said very near the beginning about relationships, a lot of the relationships that I built up a decade ago with people that helped me, these are the people that I have were possible given work to because they are the best that I can recommend to the business and the most cost effective that I can recommend to the business. So let me rephrase this. I'm trying to get something out of you because um, I think there's that. Could we just? I know I'm drawing on a conversation we've had prior to this. If you were to recommend private practice, given what you know, given your extensive experience of various businesses now and in-house role, if you were recommending to say an associate level or upwards, right, partner level, um, uh, who are looking to try and to attract business with a new client. Right, with a new person they never speak they think like say for example they think Ultra is really cool they love what it's doing they think they could actually provide some value to you how would you recommend they should go about it what would you like to see or what, what is it that you're more, more warm to so I am not someone that wants to go out at night and get pissed 
<laughs> Not anymore with a baby. <laughs> a, I, hear I, you. I hear you. <laughs> I would want someone that understands my business. Not my business, that's very unfair. Understands the business I work for. Understands the needs of the lawyer in that business and says, you know what, let's go for a coffee, let's go for lunch, let's chat it over. I don't want a hard sell. I want a... There's a sandwich, let's chat it through... I understand that you're going to have IP needs. I understand you might have litigation needs. I understand you might have license, need licensing, uh, agreement, assistance. I'm here if you need me. I don't particularly like the the hard sell. I don't think it happens that often. It does happen. Yeah. But I prefer the softly, softly. I'm still here. And Hello. And one of the things that, that you know, again, I'm drawing on conversations we had previously. To this, so if like, I think it's, I think it's all fine. But you know the. Sometimes would it would it be right in saying sometimes there's potential work that you've got that people haven't asked, right? So so because I remember when, when we were at particular moments in time, you know, just when we just caught we've been trying to catch up, right, over the last say five years, trying to catch up and go, oh, I'm just snowed under. And then we finally meet you, like, oh, I'm so busy, I could really could have done with some help here. And I was always surprised that you weren't people weren't asking you to to outside counsel weren't asking you to. Yeah, I think there is an element of that. I think. Any outside counsel would respond and say, well, actually, why didn't you just come to us anyway? Mm. What, what are you moaning about, Adam? Yeah. It's, we're here. We don't need to come and tell you that we're here. You know we're here. So I think it goes both ways. Uh, I think that there have been occasions before where if a legal firm had said to me, we've done X for you, we can also do Y, I would have said, do you know what? It makes sense. Go and do Y. But I don't think that's happened as much as it should have done. I think people should... I think that there's... I'm careful not to criticise. I don't want to criticise. I don't no, think it's uh, fair. Well, but, I, but I think there is an element of looking at the wider piece. That's great. Here's a jigsaw with 100 pieces. You've done 98. There's two pieces left. Can we help to complete it? And yeah. I think that that exists. Go back to what I said before. Don't do a hard sell, but ask gently because yeah. the worst you'll get told is no. So so here's the thing, right? So, so the reason why I'm saying this, uh, or trying to go down the this because i see this a lot right this type of problem like one that the, the in-house council so busy they don't even have time to look up for help like in the sense you're just like you know you're doing very long hours you've got all the stakeholders within the business that you're dealing with and out and outside stakeholders and also though i also said and see on the other side where i deal with a lot of private practice lawyers as you know right who are trying to build their profile try to you know um you know build an existing profiles generate new profile they think they can help and the, the, some of the easy wins are just asking people, "Hey, is there anything else I can help with?" And then, and the, you know, it seems like both, as you were saying, it's it's not as simple as that. Often, I know in practice, when like you know, I'm guilty of it myself all the time. When you're so busy and you just don't look up and think, "Oh, can someone help?" Um, so that's what I wanted to get to. That, that, that sometimes, you know, particularly if you've got existing relationships or even like people you've come across over the years, and you go, "Oh, maybe I should just drop them a note and say, like, is there anything I can assist you with at this time?" Because I speak to a lot of football clubs, uh, particularly like the lower." you know, let's say bottom half of the Premier League and, and Champions Championship, uh, you know, just various people working in these organisations, not it's not always lawyers. And they you say to them like, you know, has anyone come in to talk to you? Or and you know, some have, some have had loads and others they just haven't had when they really need help in a in a, like maybe they have someone come and talk to like data protection, but they didn't actually talk to them about the stuff they could help them with on stadium safety as an example. Well, let me give you an example which is not ultra. So I'm a non exec director for England gymnastics as you know. So I sit on the board of England Gymnastics, I go to board meetings and I assist with legal work where I can for them. Which is very interesting and I really, really enjoy that role as well. And I think to go back to an earlier question, I'm doing that because there's a piece of my CV that's missing which is sports body experience. So I will help them when it comes to a lot of nationality criteria. We've done a lot of stuff around child welfare. But I'm not an expert in this area at all. And a body like England Gymnastics is not flush with money. Not so I'm a very cheap option. I will do what needs to be done, but I am not an expert on areas that they need to focus on. I think that when you look at sports bodies like England Gymnastics, when you look at sports bodies, I'm going to pick a couple out of the, out of the sky, and it might be the wrong ones to pick, but if you look at table tennis, you look at netball, these are not sports that are flush with money, in my view. I might be wrong saying that. Netball's getting a bit more money now. <laughs> True, and I'm sure table tennis is money yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. But... but these are not the kind of main sports of this country. I think there's an opportunity there for law firms not to be the sole lawyer for these organisations because there's probably not a lot of money to be made in it, but to offer assistance where they can. So if someone had come to me and said, 
how's England gymnastics thing going? Do you want help with X or Y? A lot of stuff, stuff about sport England recently that I've had to look at for England gymnastics to be fit for purpose, for instance. I've done a lot of reading on that. I found it really interesting. But I'm sure out there's a law firm that could have come and said, do you know what, Adam, for 250 quid or 500 quid, we are happy to help. Not a lot of money, but you build a relationship and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. 100%. And I think that's almost more of an open goal than Otro, actually, because Otro, I am the lawyer that probably has the skills for that business and will give work out when I need well, to. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so as well, particularly if they're listening. But whereas England Gymnastics, I'm not devoting five days a week to them. So there is more of an opportunity there. Do you know what? I think it's a great piece of advice. And again, like you know, we've talked about this. And one of the reasons we're doing the podcast and I do more webinars is to say to people, look, there's more commonality than differences, right? So you're talking about that experience. If you're in, say, for example, India, big market for us, we've got loads of readers from there. There's great people like Andan and Kamav and Ahana and Matra and a whole bunch of others who are doing some fantastic work in India. But it's a developing sports market, right? And they look at the same thing, go, how can I develop the market? And I say, well, get involved with a local sports organization. It could be a national organization and just be involved. And that'd be the case for an individual or for a firm. I think reaching out, I think that's a great piece of advice though, reaching out to board members. So the non-execs to say because if you, if you, because particularly if they're looking if they're no doubt you were brought on a skills based board right so you're particularly there because you're a league a lawyer with providing legal expertise as a non-exec right and that's particularly in the UK I know but I'm, I'm I would hope to think that they're doing similar things in other parts of the world reach out you know LinkedIn will tell you who's doing what won't it right so I, th- I think a little bit of advice I'd give in relation to something like England gymnastics I, I wrote a way to various sports bodies, not the FA, not the LTA, not the RNA, not organisations that have their own legal teams, but organisations who don't know the budget for their own legal teams. And I said, listen, I'm happy to be a non-exec. I don't want to be paid. Of course, you'd love to be paid, but I'm happy to do it voluntarily, cover my expenses, and I'll do what needs to be done. I think if you're a junior lawyer looking for a way to get into sport, that's a very, very good way to do it. Absolutely. And there's loads of sports and loads of bodies and loads of organisations even if it's helping your local football team. Absolutely, because I say this to people, like, the option for a lot of these organisations are is not to use a lawyer at all, yeah. not to speak to anyone. And it's the same problem with the overall sports market. People's decision is often, can I get away without using a lawyer? Who can we use as not a lawyer? Oh, maybe I do need a lawyer. Uh, let me just try one more time to see if I can use someone else who's not a lawyer. And then they'll generally, rather than necessarily go to the person who's the best skilled to do it, they'll go to who do they know who's a lawyer. That's one of those professions, right, where where that's the nature of the business, right, isn't how it works. And so if you were to reach out to these organisations, you'll be surprised. And I think often, particularly the junior lawyers, others though, underappreciate all the work that's going to be a lawyer, like all the years of of education. And you go, okay, I'm only one year PQE, like one year qualified. But you've had like six years essentially of, 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 well, depends on how long you've been doing it, but, you know, five to six years generally of, of studying and then practicing law. You've also, the, the number of accountants or finance people that I find do legal agreements is astonishing. Mm. I would never look at a set of accounts and pretend that I could know what I was doing. Mm. So to your point exactly, I think that organizations would love legal help. Uh, I have the odd email from football clubs who've read blogs and law and sport and said, listen, can you help us with this, help us with that? You sometimes get paid, you sometimes don't get paid. But you build up relationships on that as well. So, so I want to get onto to sort of what you say the highlight has been for your career so far, and what you will hope to do in the future. This, this Sean is a this, highlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very sad, <laughs> sad state of affairs. If that's the case, I've not looked at my but, phone for an hour. That's why. <laughs> um, so you used to write a lot for for, for law in sport. Slight dig that you don't even. No, no, joking. But you used to write a lot for law in sport. What did you get from the process? Why did you do it? And did did, did was it a good use of your time? I'd be honest, I, 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 would, I would love to do it more. I think, unfortunately, when you get a job like mine and you have a young family, it is difficult to find the time to do it. Uh, what did I get from that? I enjoyed it. I found the topics that I wrote about, whether it be nationality and sport, to be really, really interesting. I wrote a lot about uh, the use of helmets and ski slopes. Yeah, yeah. That was and really and I remember getting a response from James Cracknell's wife, I don't think they're married anymore, but he had an accident yeah, when right, he was cycling yeah. without a helmet. And I think her, I think his wife is called Beverly Turner. And I think she messaged me about the blog that I'd written on Lawn Sport. And some things like that I feel passionate about. Like, why would you not wear a helmet? I find it astonishing. Yeah. yeah. Slight rantness. 
that when you have Boris bikes in London, they don't come with a helmet. Yeah, that yeah. you're cycling around London with a yeah, helmet. I must admit, I was thinking that I cycled today to go climbing somewhere, but the uh, and um, yeah, I, don't, I never use a helmet in, in central London. I go very slow, to be fair, but the uh, I'm, I'm very cautious. Um, got, but so, but the answer to the question is that I, I got to write about topics that I found interesting mm-hmm. that I felt passionate about. You get your name known as well. You add it onto your CV. Did you enjoy it at the time? I never asked you this. Yeah, you I really enjoyed it. it. I, I, I loved it because I was... Listen, my, my dissertation at university was on the Bosman ruling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone's dissertation. <laughs> I bet there's like a, a five to ten year period where <laughs> it's everyone's... The only, it's the only first I got at university wow. was from a dissertation. And it's because it was something I felt passionate about. And I loved writing about it. I loved researching it. Mm. And it's the same with the blogs. Listen, at the beginning I said I wanted to be a journalist. That was my dream. Yeah. That was as close as I got was writing blogs for law and sport. Yeah, yeah. So doing research about matters that, m- m- about matters that matter to me. Mm. A... Showing people that you understand the law, that you can write about it, talk about it, and interpret it. And I think that law and sport, I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting here. If it wasn't for law and sport, would I be sitting here? Probably not. Well, no, I wouldn't be because obviously it'd be a podcast. But would I be... (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Would I be at Otro? Would I be at Dugout? Would I be at... Does it want to be at IMG without law and sport? Probably not. And the honest answer to that question is because I don't think I would have known who to speak to in the first place. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to write about sports matters. I could have done a master's on, but I wouldn't have known who to speak to about it afterwards. Yeah. Law and sport opens up a network that doesn't otherwise exist. Yeah, well, I, I, I thank you for that. I don't necessarily think it's true. I think there's, I say this to people, right? Have you got to be... Um one thing I've started to pick up on patterns, right, is just like some people are undeniable. Do you see what I mean? I've see, I see people like in, in terms of, in, in throughout, in private practice, in-house, all over the place. And regardless, I see it when I go and do lectures, right? Despite whatever goes on, right, in a class full of 50 people, whatever, there can be a few who are just undeniable. Regardless whether they're in that class or not, they were going to find a way. There's certain people who are going to do that. So I think, I think you know, whether it's like, and, like as you were talking about, Andrew Ryan, Tom Burrows, whoever it is we're talking about, right? There's certain people who are always going to push and try to find, you know what I mean? They're going to, they're going to um, try to find a path, but I'll take the compliment. No, but I also think though that law and sport, in particular, you offer the job section now. Yeah, yeah. And I know people that wouldn't have got into sports. And a recruitment service. That. Yeah. And, and a mentoring scheme. So you would, you, you, people yeah. would not have got in if it wasn't for that. Hmm. So I think that actually, and I'm not here to make your head get bigger and yeah. fall out of your headphones, but I do think genuine law and sport has made a difference to various people in terms of the opportunities that are created, whether that be writing, whether it be podcasts, whether it be jobs, whatever, network, hmm. the events. I think it's really, really important. And listen, I think that there's an element of and law and sports, though, so on that, sorry, I should say, is that, that on that, though, the law and sport is the community. We just talk about this all the time, yeah. and people don't realize it's like law and sport as a whole is like the editorial board, the advisory board, all the people who write, the you know, the people who come to the events and stuff like that, quite genuinely, because it is a sum of that. Do you see what I mean? Is there some of you writing? I think so that, so that, that makes it... There is a self-interest point. Yeah, no, you've yeah. got to be honest. You've got to yeah. say, yeah, you're in it for yourself to yeah. some extent, and you happen to facilitate that through your website yeah. and through your platforms. But... I think that the the ability that you give to people that wouldn't otherwise exist. Yeah. Well, that's, well, hopefully. And so on that point, anyway, moving on, because it's about you, not me, and and not about Lawrence Sport. Well, it is about Lawrence Sport because it's Lawrence Sport podcast. I know you got you got to shoot off, haven't you? Absolutely. Okay. Right. Um. Well, quickly. Um. So yes, when you no started, fire okay, no, yeah, So so what did you get from when you started writing? Right, because I remember receiving your first uh, versions, right, and they were so opinionated, and I loved it because you, like I said, they were so passionate, and uh, and I was like, Look, I don't necessarily think you want to say this. What what do, what would you, you know, you became a very accomplished author for us, right, turning out articles really quickly and at good high quality. Um, what would you say was the, the journey for you over that period? Because I think there's a lot of young people out there. I say young people, young to the sector, let's say. Um, who are coming in and they want to write more they want to raise their profile now I guess they probably want to do videos as well and other stuff like that what did you learn what would you what advice would you give to someone else who's starting out to try and fast track their their ability to make sure you do it properly don't rush it so when you say you got my first draft and it was opinionated and you had to rewrite it if you are going to submit content and it applies for lawn sport as much as it applies for content that Otro are putting out make sure it's good Mm. because actually time doesn't exist as much now as the 10 years ago for people to review and amend and advise of what's good and what's bad. So actually, 
I think it's important that you take the time over it to make sure that it's good. And I think you've got to accept criticism when it comes as well, but that'll be constructive. It won't be negative. People will want to help. But if you put the effort in the first place, you will get the response back that that deserves. Yeah. And I guess that's like a metaphor for work as well. Of course right? it is. Like same thing. Um, is that right? A metaphor? Is that the right Metaphor's word? right. Yeah, yeah very good. Good, thanks. <laughs> Just checking. And um, so then the other thing I was going to ask you is, where do you see your career going? And so uh, maybe that's a bit unfair. Where would you see Otro in, say, five years' time? Or where do you hope as a business? Where do you, where, where where do you I hope Otro is in five years' time? Uh, it's a very crowded marketplace just now with all these different platforms who are all slightly different but aiming for the same market. I would like to think that there's going to be two or three that will rise to the top out of maybe 10, 15, 20 that are out there and Otro will be one of them. I think we have a unique business in terms of the players we have and the opportunities we have with the players that no one else has and with the nature of the players these are guys that we can follow their journeys from being a Deli Alley superstar at Tottenham just now to who knows where in five years time or a Lionel Messi superstar at Barcelona just now where's he going to be in five years time Beckham is he still going to be the individual personality is I think the answer is yes and I think there's a journey that we can go on with the players for the next five years that is quite unique because a football club has a turnover of players. Mm. Uh, Defoe's at Rangers just now. Morelos is at Rangers just now. They won't be there in five years' time, but the club will still be there. But with footballers, they have an identity, and I think that we can really get dig deep into these guys and follow their lives and their mm. trajectory over the next few years. And I think that's something genuinely exciting. So this is, you know, it was interesting. Listen to you say that. I listened to a guy... Um, uh, who is it? Altius, sorry, the guys at Altius, Sven um, Altius and, and the guys there put on with Lille University uh, in Lille uh, earlier in the year and they had uh, Michael Yomak, oh, I'm missing, oh, sorry, there was, um, who is it, Dan, um, from, I'm not even going to try and say the firm name, I can't get it wrong, a Belgian tax firm, I'll, I'll put, try and put a link to it in the, in the, in the description. Um, but anyway, they put on this fantastic event and they um, had Michael Yomak uh, from Rock Nation Marketing, he was describing how they're working with the athletes, a selected pool of people, but at the same trying to build real brands over time rather than just try to, you know, focus on the transfer deal and stuff. Like that. And it seems to be this shift, particularly around athletes at the moment, where they're, they're starting to go, okay, you know, for, for the it, the right individual, there is more to more, you're treating them almost like a, you would do like a business. Right? There's a story it, to tell that yeah. hasn't been told before. Mm. And I think that Otro are very, very well positioned to Exciting. do that. Um, and, I was going to ask you where you'd like to be, but I think that's unfair given, given your current No, role, listen, listen, I will openly say that I'm 10 years qualified at 34 years old. Do I want to be 20 years qualified at 44 and still being a lawyer? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to be a lawyer forever, but I enjoy my job. I don't particularly want to go through the process of looking for another job anytime <laughs> soon, I can assure you, because it's quite a draining and exhausting process. And when you're in a place where you enjoy going to work and the opportunity exists, then does it outro? Why take a risk and move when yeah. you don't need to, when actually your ability to develop and grow with a business exists as I have just now? So yeah. in 10 years' time, will I still be a lawyer? Don't know. In two or three years' time, will I still be a hot troll? I hope so. <laughs> well, <laughs> if they have I, me. I hope so too. Otherwise, if people are listening back to this, it would be awkward. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Adam, thanks so much. Um, thanks, Sean. As I said, like, I hope it come across uh, during this. Like, thanks for your time. I know we've been struggling to get it out one because you're obviously a new parent. Congratulations again on that. And, and to your wife um, and to family, um, but also because I know you're so busy with all the developments that are going on there, so I really do appreciate taking the time. I also love the fact that you, as a, I said this to the, on the mentor, when we did the ment launch of the mentoring scheme last year, that you are the most enthusiastic person I think I've met uh, when it comes to the sport generally, but but uh, sports or in particular. Um, I think it's a great you're a great lesson for a lot of people, like you know, because you know you could have sat there and thought, I'm in Scotland, I'm doing you know construction. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Scotland, Sean. No, 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 hey, hey, nothing wrong with Scotland. Beautiful place. Beautiful people, beautiful place. <laughs> no, it really is. Like, like, yeah, and, um, 
Uh, but from a sports law perspective and opportunities are there, they're very limited. And so you could have sat there and gone, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, no one's going to come and talk to me. And, you know, and you took that uh, initiative and you really ran with it. Uh, so congratulations on that. I think it's a lesson for a lot of people, particularly the lot of people that contact me, John and Chris and everyone else, I should imagine in the sector as well, who are already established uh, to take lessons from. So thanks for sharing your experience and your journey. Thank you for having me. And I wish you all the best uh, for the next, well, five to ten years. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cheers. Bye. Well, that's all we have time for for now. But remember, for all the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawinsport.com. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You can sign up to our weekly email to receive updates around the latest content and the upcoming events that we have, such as our annual conference on the 12th and 13th of September, in which we're covering a wide range of issues affecting global sport and sports law. Other than that, if you enjoy what we do, please do tell people. Leave us some reviews on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other platforms that we're on, Spotify now. And other than that, I just wish you a very good morning, lunchtime, evening, a commute if you're tuning in when you're on the way to or from work. And, you know, if we can be of help, if there's something you think we should cover, you think there's a guest that we should have on the podcast, please do let me know. We'd love to to find out. You can tweet me directly at S-P-C-O-T-T or you can just tag in Law and Sport. Have a great rest of your day.